you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the President of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's Attorney, over 60 judges, our water reclamation district commissioners, and changes to our taxes. With all of these races, candidates, and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop. Take it with you into the voting booth on your phone and feel confident in knowing who and what you're voting for. ChicagoVotes.com. Ben, what do you mean who are today's guests? It's Miles Camp Lassen. Come on, get with it. Hey, I just got your text. Oh, sorry. That's breaking the fourth wall. How's it going, everybody? Uh, we are live, live stream chat, weigh in. Brianna, what is happening? I guess she's filling in for Frank today for a song of the day. Thank you very much, Brianna. Clutch move there. Oh, Ben's got his water. We're ready. Uh, you're Ben Gerard. By the way, I just want to let you know I got a great uh, te- uh, text from Frank just about five minutes ago. Frank, right on. I'm going to be talking about it with uh, Miles. That's all I'm going to. That's called teasing, D teasing all right well frank join us on the live stream chat uh your ben jarofsky show for thursday october 29th is just moments away but before we do this we need to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program unions like the international brotherhood of electrical workers local nine their sponsors the international union of operating engineers local 150 are sponsors as well as our good friends at the chicago federation of labor that is correct What's going on, Pat Rod? Okay. Your song of the day comes from Brianna. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a Michael Jackson song. Ooh, I love Michael Jackson. It's Ben by Michael Jackson. Oh, my God. Brianna. From the movie Willard, a movie about a, a bunch of rats. A lot of people don't never saw Willard. I saw it twice. Ugh. Have you ever seen Willard D? No, no. I've uh, I've seen the video for the song, and it's disgusting. Oh, my God. Great flick from the 60s, I want to say. Maybe early 70s. Here is Casey Gatesel, number one, Ben. <clears throat> ben, the two of us need look no more. Oh, you and something looking for. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was an interesting remix there. I don't know what that was. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Michael Jackson's Ben. Yes, yes, yes. I remember it well. The The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Thursday, October 29th. And live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show.
Today on the program, will someone ring Ben's doorbell? <laughs> In these times, writer Miles Camplassen. And now your host, Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here calling this Trump Love Thursday. And here's why. For the last few years, we've been asking ourselves this question. How far will Trump go before MAGA turns against him? Pretty far, it seems. Young Donald, in fact, said he could murder someone on Fifth Avenue, and MAGA would still vote for him. Of course, folks, when you think about it, it's really not that big a deal. Fifth Avenue is in New York City. New York City is in New York State. That's a blue state. So presumably MAGA wouldn't care less about a dead person there, as they don't care about people dying for COVID in Illinois. But you get the point. Now we have an update. Can Donnie Trump leave MAGA in the cold for several hours and still retain MAGA's vote? Excellent question. Thank you very much for asking it, Dennis. And very relevant. You're welcome. <laughs> courtesy to a story coming out of Omaha, Nebraska for the last couple of days. Monroe mentioned it in passing yesterday, but um, folks, this has been one of my favorite news stories of the week. It's a story known as Frostbite Gate. Here are the details. Donnie Trump flew into Nebraska to have one of his little airplane rallies on Tuesday. Airport rallies, I should say. You know, you're asking, why would he waste his time with an airport rally in Nebraska, which just a few days before the election, Nebraska hasn't gone Democrat since 1922. Actually, I don't know when the last time Nebraska went Democrat. I just wanted to do that butter cow thing. 1922. But it's been a long time since Nebraska went Democrat. All right, everybody. Go Big well, Red. Is Nebraska Big Red? Yeah. Well, Cornhuskers. Yeah, yeah, the Cornhuskers. You're right with that big red ad. Nice. You're right, dear. Yeah, you're hey. welcome. You're welcome. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Oh, 1922. Anyway, just like the butter cow has been a Illinois state fair tradition since 1922, Nebraska hasn't gone Democrat since I don't know when. Go blue. Ooh, I made a rhyme there, D. Uh, but Ever since that interview with Troy LaRavier, you've been wanting to rap. It's interesting. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I hope it goes away. I, I'm, hope, I'm thinking of dropping something. Isn't that? Uh, I'm going to drop one, D, okay? <laughs> that can mean a lot of things, actually, but go ahead. All right, anyway, so why did he go to Nebraska? Because Nebraska has one electoral vote uh, from one of their congressional districts in and around Omaha, and he figures that electoral vote may come in handy. And besides, he knows he has a strong cult following of MAGA heads in Nebraska. So let's rock and roll, dude. Donnie will go anywhere to get people to cheer and scream his name. And that's what he did. He flew his plane to the airport in Omaha, walked out in the tarmac, stood on a stage, surrounded by maskless hordes of MAGA heads who cheered him like they were teenage girls back in the days of Beatlemania. Donnie, Donnie, I love you. Ah! And then afterwards, they had interviews with, with reporters where they told the reporters which Trumpsters they liked, just like the girls did back in Beatlemania days. I love Ivanka. She's my favorite. No, I love Melania, no, baby Donnie is to die for. MAGA loves the Trumpsters, ladies and gentlemen. Can you imagine if Trump loses? Poor MAGA. <laughs> anyway, it was bitter cold that night in Nebraska. 
sub-freezing. And there they were out in the middle of nowhere, a couple of miles from wherever the parking lot was, where they had parked their cars. They parked their cars. And MAGA brought in some, uh, the MAGA organizers brought in these shuttle buses, and they schlepped them out to the airport. <laughs> They'd already been standing in the cold for like 10 hours waiting for Donnie. 10 hours, people. Man, that is devotion and dedication. you got to almost give them credit for them. And Dottie flies in, and he gets off the plane, and he walks over to the stage, and he gives a speech about how the world is coming to an end, and there's an apocalypse approaching if Joey B is elected, which is the exact same thing he said four years ago about Hillary Clinton. Just saying, folks. So you got to figure, really, nothing has changed with his four years. Look, I don't know. MAGA may wonder, huh? Wait a minute, he said the same thing four years ago. Uh, he's been the president for four years. Nothing's improved. I guess it's such a fragile improvement that like any, if Joe Biden gets elected, we're right back to where we started. Anyway, Maggo pretty much believe anything Donnie says. So anyway, as soon as he's done with that speech, he hops back onto that plane where it's warm and toasty and he has hot cocoa to sip from and watch videos, old videos of wrestling matches from the 1990s. And the plane takes off. Wait, this sounds like my weekends. <laughs> Hot cocoa and 90s wrestling. Uh, well, he didn't. Uh, he did not have the uh, uh, jerk chicken uh, egg rolls. But, ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Just saying. Uh, but I'm not going to make any jerk chicken jokes. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> And so off he goes as soon as he can, because, you know, Donnie Trump doesn't want to spend any more time in Nebraska than he has to. Meanwhile, all oh, hell is breaking loose at the airport. The shuttle buses don't show up. There's no way for people to get back to their cars in the parking lot. That's a few miles away. The temperature is dropping. That's the temperature dropping. People are freezing. I'm cold. Some people trudge back along the highway to get to the parking lot where their cars are. Several people wind up in the hospital with hypothermia, frostbite. In the aftermath? The Trump campaign does what the Trump campaign does best. They got all huffy and they blamed it on someone else. A spokesperson responded to by saying, President Trump loves his supporters and was thrilled to visit Omaha last night. How dare you say anything other than that? You know, I'm starting to think that Donnie Trump loves his supporters in sort of like a cruel to be kind way. You remember that song, D, from way back? Eh, you weren't even born yet. It was way back in the 70s. I will now, I will now recite it like I'm a rap star. Cruel to be kind means that I love, <laughs> love you, baby. You know that song, D? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Steven on the live stream chat is uh, begging for a rap song of the day. <laughs> You just heard okay. that, Stephen. You want that? Do you want that? <laughs> cool to be kind means that I love you, baby. <laughs> That's Donnie. I love you, he tells Maga. So I'm going to be cruel to you. Call it Donnie love. Reminds me of Rom love. Remember Rom love, everybody? Way back when, in his first term as mayor of the city of Chicago, Rom Emanuel closed 50 schools and mental health clinics all throughout the south and west sides. And to win back the voters he had lost, he ran these commercials that show various hotel workers extolling how much Rom really loved them, even if he was kind of nasty mean and did things like close mental health clinics and schools. Even if he had a funny way of showing it, he really did love you. And they called it Rom love. And it worked. All these voters in Chicago, all these dumbasses voted for him and reelected him. Wait a minute, D. 
That's voter shaming. And remember I pledged I wasn't going to do any more of that? Remember I promised that the other day? Yeah. So let me humbly apologize to all my listeners for voter shaming. No, the Chicago electorate did not fall victim to one of the dumbest campaign commercials of all time. No, they didn't simply vote to reelect Rob because he put a sweater on. No, they didn't simply rush out to give him another chance because Barack Obama said what a wonderful guy he was. Oh no, they carefully reviewed the mayor's platforms and decided, hmm, this would be the logical choice because he has such a firm command on the budget. No more voter shaming. Anyway, I know MAGA loves Donnie. They love him very much. They love him so much that they don't care if he sends them to the hospital with frostbite. They figure they must have done something wrong or otherwise he wouldn't have kept them in the cold for all those hours. Here's hoping that the rest of the country is not so insane. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles can't last from these times will be here. I'll tell you one thing right now, D. Tell he's me, tell insane. me. He's, no- he's not crazy. He's not going to sit in the cold waiting for Donnie Trump for four hours. Oh, no. Now, Bernie Sanders, that's another thing. $27. Anyway, Miles Campbell-Lasson will be, us, be with us. We'll be talking about all the issues of the day. He's got a great story to talk about, about uh, what's going down in Michigan. The left is coming to life on behalf of Joey Biden. That's pretty interesting. Uh, so we'll be talking to uh, Miles about that and other things. But before we do that. The young man from home, the man that all of Nebraska happily calls Dr. Doobie with the news. Go Big Red. I'm Dennis. How's it going, guys? All right. Oh, and there's the brown line. All right. Chug a choo choo. Okay. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. A lot of COVID-19 pandemic mitigation defiance stories coming up. All right. But first, we begin with the Chicago mayor. No public events scheduled this afternoon, this gloomy afternoon, really, for our Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. But during a public ribbon cutting yesterday, the The mayor may have buried the hatchet with one of her fellow city council aldermen. Now only uh, if she'd bury those big, stupid ribbon-cutting scissors. Those things are silly. But it's time to check in on maybe Ben Jarofsky's favorite Chicago daily political soap opera, People. It's time for a mayor and her alderman. (laughs) A mayor and her alderman. I want an answer. It's not something to ignore. (laughs) I think you're 100% full of shit. Is what I, <laughs> I, I never get tired of hearing that. Never get tired of hearing that exchange, Dean. Never, ever, ever. Boy, this mayor and her alderman, there's always something. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and, yes, Fran the Woe Man Spielman. On Wednesday, Chicago's historic and resurgent Pullman community celebrated the opening of a $60 million Amazon last mile distribution center. Oh, my God, Amazon and Alderman Ben Jarofsky's having a field day here. <laughs> yeah, well, at least they refrain from giving Amazon any more money. Here, take our money, please, Amazon. <laughs> this Remember is that? A, oh, yeah. Uh, this is a $60 million Amazon last mile distribution center that has created 200 jobs just in time for Christmas. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and local Alderman, Alderman Anthony Beal, Ben of what ward? Come on. Come on! 
the ninth ward. All right. Come on. And who was his predecessor in the city council? Um, uh, Maria Haddon. <laughs> Robert Shaw. Oh, Come on. Oh, so sorry. So sorry. Come on. And who was his predecessor? Okay, we're done city? with this game. <laughs> Mayor Lightfoot and Alderman Anthony Beal put aside their differences to appear together at the ceremonial opening. The 150,000 square foot center, which transformed a long vacant industrial site at 105th and Woodlawn, actually started operations last month. All right. Before we go any further, Ben, help us out here. Why the beef? between Lightfoot and Beal? You know, I do not know the answer to that question. Awesome. Show's over, guys. We're done. (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, that moment of candor got me absolutely (laughs) nowhere. Oh, it was a candor or honesty. I think it was honesty. Uh, I want to get the quote right. It was honesty. Uh, Honesty, okay. Uh, But uh, no, I don't know why. I mean, ultimately, why Anthony Beal chose uh, to rise up angry against uh, uh, this particular mayor. Anthony Beal, alderman of the Ninth Ward, has been the alderman for uh, many, many years, uh, was a loyal follower of the previous mayor, Rahm Emanuel, and he was a loyal follower of the mayor before that, Richard M. Daly. So I don't know why he just suddenly decided that uh, Lori Lightfoot was just too much for him. Uh, he, maybe he got offended. I mean, it, ostensibly, it was the reason is he got offended with some of the rhetoric that Lori Lightfoot used uh, in her inaugural speech. Remember that, D? Where she kind of made fun of all the aldermen and said, we're cleaning up City Hall. And then she got the aldermen to, st- like, she got everybody to stand and cheer over all the end of aldermanic prerogative. I remember that. And even the aldermen are like, well, I don't know what. Everybody's cheering and standing. We should do the same. But she's really saying she's cutting us off at the knees, not quite sure which way we're going to go. So some of them stood, some of them didn't. So maybe he got offended with that. Maybe he was offended because she was so uh, critical of Ed Burke. And Anthony Beal and Ed Burke are allies. Ed Burke, of course, the uh, alderman of the 14th Ward, chairman of the Finance Committee. I think cannabis had something to do with it, too, right? No, well, that was just one of the I mean, once he once he decided that he was going to be critical of the mayor, uh, he became and I say this and I mean this. He be he began to use his expertise in the city council, much as Ray, Raymond Lopez has to criticize the mayor. And I believe powerful mayors need critical aldermen. And I welcome that. We're going to be talking about this in a little while uh, regarding J.B. Pritzker and the legislature. I believe that the executive needs legislators to keep him or her in line. I believe that. I believe in a checks and balance system. So I welcome Anthony Beal. We talk about him many times when Dave Glowatz comes on the show and does the city council wrap-ups, wrap-ups, the synopsis, as you like to say, of city council meetings. And so Anthony Beal and uh, Ray Lowe have become allies uh, and so in criticizing the mayor, and one of the things he did criticize her, yes, you're right, had to do with the distribution of cannabis centers. Uh, I think that was like last year, wasn't it? Everything's coming together, Dean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so he's taking this new role, a role that he did not have in the Rahm Emanuel administration, a role he did not have in the Mayor Daley administration, where he was, like I said, a loyal vote, whatever uh, dumb idea mayor had, he pretty much lined up to uh, support it. I welcome it. I welcome the change. Why, ultimately, you ask, what is motivating him in his heart of hearts? Young Dennis, I cannot tell you. I've not taken that journey, but I just appreciate the fact that we have an alderman willing uh, to speak up and uh, you know, at least question what the mayor is up to. All right. I think uh, Stephen on the live stream chat, he's still, after hearing you rap, Ben, he still wants a rap song of the day. So we're going to cut a deal with Stephen right now on the show. Stephen, you weigh in early before the show starts. Give us a rap song. 
And we'll see if Ben knows it. <laughs> okay, since I do not know any rap songs <laughs> at all, except for that one by Kanye. Yeah. You know, which I always screw up the lyrics. Or, Everything. I'm, or maybe the yeah. very first rap song, the Sugar Hill Gang song. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know a I little know, bit of that I've one, heard right? That. 19, 1979. <laughs> So maybe the first rap song ever he may know. I don't know. Kind of run out. I mean, how about if I just turn every song that they uh, suggest I sing into a rap? What if I do that? All right. Well. <laughs> so what was today so cruel to be kind? Cruel to be kind means that I love you. No, your song baby. of the day was the song for the Michael Jackson song about oh, the rat. Ben, okay, Ben. Ben, the, the I'm turning Ben into a Barack Obama speech. Ben, the two of us. Need look no more. You got what I'm looking for. <laughs> hey, about that Alderman Beale story, huh? We got oh, more. Yes. I'm sorry, back to work. Yes. Lightfoot laughed nervously when asked whether her presence signaled a political uh, alliance with one of her most outspoken city council critics. Lightfoot said, quote, look, I'm going anywhere. There's economic development. I'm going anywhere where we're creating jobs and opportunity for the residents of our city. That's a good thing. A positive thing. The work that's happened across this ward shows what happens when you have true partnership. It doesn't happen without everybody working together, including making sure that the mayor's office is aligned with the vision on economic development. So I'm going wherever there's a need. We're going to help wherever we can. <laughs> it's like a very good rap. Listen, here's the thing. And people go, Ben, compare Lori Lightfoot to Rahm Emanuel. And this is why I think Lori Lightfoot, I've been critical of her lately, but I still think she's an improvement over Rahm. Rahm was so vindictive that he wouldn't invite opposition aldermen, uh, and there were very few of them, to these ribbon-cutting ceremonies. Let's face it, ribbon-cutting ceremony is an opportunity for all the local officials to gather around and uh, really pat themselves in the back and say, what a great job we're doing. Oh, look at those scissors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And they put out the big scissors. Or sometimes it's a you know, groundbreaking ceremony. Everybody gets a shovel. What? And they put a hard hat on. Yeah. Right? They get the, I don't know why they have a hard hat. They're putting a hard hat on. Just to let, make it clear. It's a, There's nothing remotely around that's going to fall on their head. But they get the hard hat on. They got the shovel. Okay. So they, now they got the. Now when it's completed, they got the big scissors. So everybody comes. That's how it's supposed to be. You know, it's like. Imagine it's they're all Democrats, but imagine it's a bipartisan spirit. Okay, that's that's what we're promoting. But Mayor Rahm was so mean and nasty, he wouldn't invite local aldermen if they didn't kiss his ring. And so remember, he wouldn't invite Sue Garza. Remember, this is how I know this. Uh, Sue Sedlowski Garza, the alderman of the tenth ward, alderwoman of the tenth ward, I should say, one of Dennis's favorite aldermen. I would say probably Dennis's favorite alderman. Um, yeah. In the early days, Rob couldn't stand Sue Sedlowski Garza because she defeated uh, his favorite alderman. I forget the gentleman's name. Gee, I've actually forgot the name. I put it out of my mind. The long time. Oh, Pope. I just came back to me. <laughs> Have not taken the gone to deep ed over into dementia. I still remember John Pope's name. All right. We still got a show, baby. <laughs> yeah, I still remember John Pope's name. By the way, I could have said any name. No one would have known. Just know. How many people out there, D, would know who the alderman of the 10th Ward was in 2014? Not many. Anyway, so uh, Rom wouldn't invite her. She heard about it and she showed up anyway. Rom's like, "What are you doing here?" Huh? Huh? 
So yeah, Ron was especially vindictive and nasty. Nobody wants to even come close to emulating him. Uh, everyone wants to forget he was even our mayor, except for a few people on the Gold Coast. You ever notice that like, like the really rich people, every now and then we'll write a letter to the editor of the Sun-Times. We miss Rom. That's about it in terms of missing Rom, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, it's nice to see they're grownups. It's something that they want to celebrate. Uh, though Bob Reiner had some interesting points from the uh, Federation of Labor about uh, the, the conditions at Amazon Warehouse and the fact that they're not union employees. So, you know, let's not get too excited. All right. I mean, come on, Amazon, allow your employees to unionize. I would really appreciate that. But um, anyway, so it's a relatively nice story for Chicago and um, particularly in the middle of the pandemic. So, yeah, the mayor should be there uh, with Beal. It shouldn't be a big deal that the mayor of Chicago is. And by the way, it shouldn't be a big deal that there be an alderman who criticize, criticizes the mayor. That just shows you the mentality in Chicago. He's a mayoral critic. What, because he, he criticizes her, questions her, doesn't bow down and kiss her ring, doesn't vote her way every time? Chicago, man, we're so weird. He's a critic. He's a mayoral critic. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? It's like, it's, it's she's not a monarch. So anyway, good for you, Anthony Beale, that at long last, you've discovered that you can vote no. Whoa, wait a minute, I have a choice? Hold on, I'll go slow at this now. I can vote yes, I can vote no. That's in O, oh, right? No? Yeah. Wow. So, I don't know, we'll see if uh, the alderman, how about the alderman and Raylo? Could you imagine them? You got to take the scissors out of her hands when Raylo's around, all right? So. I want an answer. This is not something you can ignore. Will Alderman Beal and Lightfoot be BFFs or... Is it only a matter of time until they betray each other? I guess we'll have to wait and find out on the next episode of A Mayor and Her Alderman. <laughs> a Mayor and Her Alderman. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. You can think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. <laughs> If you think we might have fuck you then. Okay. Whoa, whoa. Hold it now. My lordy. God dang. (laughs) All right. Moving on. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Big problems become big problems (laughs) when you let small problems sit. Okay. With all due respect, I think you are beyond small problems at this point, Governor. (laughs) Poor J.B. Oh, God. Today, Governor Pritzker was at L. May Creations in Chicago. He was there at about 10 a.m. to an announce an update on the impact of the second round of the business interruptions grants program. And right now he's at the Thompson Center preparing for his 2.30 daily COVID-19 press briefing. Uh, So far, the fallout from our second uptick in positive COVID-19 cases here in Illinois been a bit messy all right on friday the city of chicago will be under new mitigation rules more positive covid19 test results in the city means no more indoor dining or drinking in bars and early closings and on wednesday chicago mayor lightfoot had a closed door mitigation meeting with the governor J.B. Pritzker. We have a few updates on that meeting. We talked about this yesterday as we were uh, rolling out. She was hoping to persuade the governor to change his mind on mitigations like the indoor dining ban, but Pritzker said, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that. Sorry. We don't have the details on what Pritzker actually said, but Ben, what can you imagine uh, Pritzker said uh, in this meeting? 
Uh, Pritzker said, uh, uh, my favorite concert was Steve Miller okay. Band and the Eagles. <laughs> Just kidding. I had to say that. And then she was like, oh, uh, wow. I like Todd Lundgren. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She loves Todd Lundgren, ladies and gentlemen. What could he say? We talked about this yesterday. I'll repeat it. He would have looked ridiculous if he had uh, emerged from that meeting and said, you know, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has convinced me that it's a good idea for me to back away and allow restaurants in Chicago to operate, but not Will County, not DuPage County, not Metro East, not, and definitely not Clay County, DB, Darren Bailey. He would have looked ridiculous. And he would have been criticized from one end of the state to the other, and I would have been criticizing him too. You either believe that you need to protect people by closing rest indoor dining, or you're just blowing in the wind. And so I applaud him for standing his ground. And I am still a little miffed at Lori Lightfoot D. I have to tell you this, I have to tell you this. You know, Mayor Lightfoot thinks that she's the only one who gets to close you down, shut you down, take your car. What, J.B. Pritzker doesn't get to do that? You don't think J.B. Pritzker realizes that it's impacting restaurants? You don't think J.B. Pritzker realizes that restaurant owners and bar owners are mad at him? Haven't you been paying attention to the last six months of politics in the state of Illinois, lawsuits filed? by various attorneys affiliated with the Republican Party, rhetoric offered up by not just Darren Bailey, but even Jim Durkin. This is the Republican issue. They've seized on it. That Governor Pritzker has gone too far. We'll get more into this. I know Dee has more updates on this. This is, this is what they've been saying, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. It's not like Governor Pritzker needed you to tell him that restaurant owners are upset at him for closing down indoor dining. Either believe that this pandemic is for real or you don't. You either say, well, you know, let's just see what happens. What's that great line, Dave? I think it might be a good idea to let the dog drive for the car for a while, you know? Man, you just cut him off at the knees, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. That restaurant association has just got too much clout in City Hall, D. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm throwing that out there. Hold on. Nope. Just threw it out there. Oh, it's out there. Whoa. If only Lori Lightfoot loved the Chicago Teachers Union as much as she loves the restaurant association. Go ahead, D. After their meeting, Lightfoot said she wasn't asking for special favors for Chicago. <laughs> And but thank God uh, she said she's not going to try and sue the governor, which uh, we've seen happen before here in the last few months. Uh, but she did maintain that the biggest driver of Chicago's second surge is the indoor gatherings people are having in their own homes where they're more inclined to let their guards down and not spend any money on Chicago. <laughs> How does she know that? You know, it's deep. What, what if suddenly she scientist mayor lori lightfoot i've done a study and i've discovered it's indoor gatherings at people's home how do you know that i've not seen a study that said that there's like thousand studies flying around i'm just following the science if you were to listen to howard ehrman dr howard ehrman's brother shut everything down don't go anywhere you know there's that branch of the science 
I mean, I, I don't know. Listen, I don't pretend to know. We're going to get into this. I have a feeling a little further, a little deeper uh, when we talk about basketball. I don't pretend to know how much of this pandemic is spread by people gathering in homes versus people gathering in restaurants versus people gathering in bars versus people gathering in bowling alleys. And I don't believe Lori Lightfoot knows either. I do know this. She's got Sammy Toya and Illinois Restaurant Association knocking on her door. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot, remember me? Hello. <laughs> Put me on the zoning committee or whatever that thing is. I remember you, Sam. I'll take care of you. You know, and yes, she was asking for favors, special favors for Chicago. And yes, it would have looked terrible if Governor Pritzker gave it to her. Either that, just do away with it. If you're going to bow to the wishes of Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, then call up DB, Dara Bailey, on the phone right now and say, DB, I'm pulling back. All those restaurants in Clay County can open up. All the bars can open up. Metro East, I'm going to go. In fact, I'm going to happy hour right now at Denny's favorite bar in Alton called Bubba's. Is there a How'd you know that? <laughs> I just made that oh up. Oh, my God. I love Bubba's. <laughs> No, isn't that no, crazy, the, though? Uh, yeah. Just imagine, uh, you know, J.B. Pritzker, you know, uh, shutting down, like, you know, indoor dining in towns of, like, 10,000 people. And uh, how many people you got here? Three million? All right. Well, there's a virus going around here. Yeah, sure, whatever. Keep them open. Yeah. Go for you it. Know. Cool. Wouldn't that look good, Mayor? <laughs> Thanks for looking out for J.B. Pritzker, your fellow chief executive, your fellow Democrat. He's under siege from Republicans all over the place, filing lawsuits again. Wait and cut him off at the knees, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. You know, three hours. How long did they meet? A couple hours? Yeah, a couple hours. What was there to talk about for a couple hours? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what did, like, what do you have to bow down? You're the greatest Mayor Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> All right. We have a quote from Mayor Lightfoot here. Uh, she says here, quote, we've got to make sure that we communicate effectively to the businesses across Chicago that are going to be effective. Uh, the most important point is how do we move forward? We've committed to make sure that we continue to work together. Uh, I mean, what what's there to communicate yeah i don't think a second round was added uh in that budget that she just talked about right yeah yeah i i, I just this is face-saving rhetoric she overplayed her hand and again i'll repeat this you either believe that action is required because we're in a second wave and you got to protect people from infecting each other or you just take this sort of maga hat approach to it and say, let the chips fall where they may. Oh, and we definitely have that approach coming up later on in our local news here. But uh, moving on with this story here, we can uh, well, we have another story. We can now add uh, the Illinois High School Association mm. to the list of those not feeling the governor's pandemic plan. Uh, let's see here. Uh, because in direct contradiction of Pritzker's indoor sports <clears throat> guidelines, the Illinois High School Association announced Wednesday that the basketball season can start as scheduled. What the hell is going on right now, people? Uh, Pritzker and the Illinois Department of Public Health recently put winter sports on an indefinite hold and moved basketball from a medium-risk sport to a higher-risk sport in the IDPH guidelines. 
And uh, to give you a sense of how up in the air everything is at the moment, listen to the quote from Illinois High School Director Craig Anderson after making this announcement, all right? Here's Craig Anderson, quote, I really don't know what's going to happen from now until November 30th. It's a big deal to say to government officials and health departments that we're going to go a different direction from how they're advising. I have no idea how this is going to play out for us. Nothing <laughs> uh, like leadership at the top. Huh? <laughs> Lead us. Dude, did you just start no, that job? Like, what kind of quote is that? I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, yeah, but, you got me. <laughs> but there's more. Then when reporters asked, what if, this, uh, what if the state withholds funding? Anderson said, quote, and hey, guys, at least he's honest, all right? Anderson said, quote, oh, well, I haven't had time to think about that. <laughs> I guess that is a possibility. Oh, I would hope that wouldn't be the case. <laughs> uh, you know, you got to like honesty in the part of Like all the coaches got together are really happy. And, you know, uh, putting all the jokes aside, I'm, I've said this before. I mean, this pandemic freaking sucks. You know, I mean, everybody's paying the price for it. And I do feel for the restaurant owners. I've said this many times. I go to restaurants. Yes. And unlike DB, I tip when I go to the restaurants. There we go again with that. (laughs) I bet he's a good tipper. I don't know. I just, I got this thing, D. Now, you're going to really get mad at me with what I'm about to say. Maybe I should hold back. No, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Finally, the truth comes out. I think Democrats are better tippers than Republicans. I think Republicans are cheap. Yep, I put it out there, ladies and gentlemen. All the great tippers I know have been uh, Democrats. Now, it's true. Michael Keller Ditka, former coach of the Chicago Bear, a known Republican. See how fair I am, D? See how fair I am? He had a reputation for being a good tipper. So it's, maybe it's not across the board. Yeah. But by and large, Mike, uh, Mike Ditka, give him credit. He says some really goofy things about politics, really whacked out weird stuff, but he had a reputation as being a solid guy when it came to leaving a tip. So give him credit. Coach, give you credit for that. But uh, I don't know, man. I've heard, you know, people I know in the business tell me, man, these rich Republicans, the cheapest. You know Donald Trump's cheap. You know he's cheap, D. So I don't know. DB is a rich Republican. Kind of way in them being cheap, but anyway, I, I I support the restaurants. There was a great. Uh, it was Mary Mitchell had a column uh, today in the Sun Times. She mentioned uh, that some restaurants will figure things out and come up with some really uh, creative uh, carry out. Uh, offerings and opportunities. Mike Sula was talking about that in, in the great interview that didn't you didn't get quite a chance to hear, but we'll get back to it. Uh, so I know, but I do feel for the restaurants and I feel for the kids. Uh, Rick Callender wrote an excellent column about a week ago in the Sun-Times about the impact that losing sports has on high school kids and know how important sports are. So I'm struggling with this one, D. I really am. You know, should we let, like many schools aren't even back in session indoors they're still doing the virtual stuff particularly here in the city of chicago i think new trier just closed down i don't know if they reopen again uh, but they're back to virtual evanston i think is virtual so should we allow them to play basketball is basketball safe enough you don't have anybody in the stands okay you're doing social distancing uh when uh, as much as you can in terms of spreading people apart coaches have to wear masks referees have to wear masks 
Do you trust it, D? Do you think it's uh, do you think it's safe? And do you think uh, that the rewards outweigh the risks? Well, can we get these kiddos in a bubble or what? Bubbles are expensive. Bubbles are expensive. By the way, every time I say bubbles, I think of the guy uh, on, in Trailer Park. <laughs> Come on, Julian. <laughs> so uh, bubbles are expensive. But I like, you know, like, man, what a rebellion. I got to tell you, folks, if you know anything about the Illinois High School Association, they're sports, they are like the go along types. And boy, are they officious. It's so weird. They're rebelling against the state. Yeah, they don't seem too confident about it, according to this quote here. But yeah, they're doing it. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Once, so many times, I know this because I'm a sports fan, they issue these proclamations like they're the emperor. And they, high schools have to fall in line. Athletes have been banned and barred from playing sports. High school teams have lost their championships. They've been ruled ineligible, you know. And uh, for a while, they were doing testing of athletes. It's really weird, whacked out stuff. Like, I remember uh, when my kids were playing high school sports, there was random testing, urine testing of athletes. What the? Like, you could just look at the results today, ladies and gentlemen, of what these kids ran and could tell. Nobody was taking any drug enhancing, you know, whatever stimulants. Nope. So got these kids, they, they got, give them little vials. All right. We're going to watch you go into that restroom over there. And uh, we're, we're going to stand here until you come out. So, you know, it's kind of funny. The IH, all of a sudden they're feeling their inner Tom pain. We must, we must, we have the kids are number one. That's all we care about. I'm all over the map on this one, D. I'm all over the map. On all this right. One. There may be a flip-flop coming soon, guys. You know what happens. I'm all over the map on this one. Uh, studies show that two days later, after Bendrovsky says that, a flip-flop happens. So we may have a flip-flop coming soon on the Bendrovsky show. But we do have breaking news. I guess a nationwide pandemic halts the opening of a brand new casino after all. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Mitchell Armentrout. Developers and mayors vying for the chance to break ground on new casinos, including two in Chicago's suburbs, will have to wait at least another six months to find out if they're holding a winning hand. Illinois Gaming Board Administrator Marcus Fructor Blame the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic for pushing back his agency's timeline for handing out the first round of casino licenses as part of Governor J.B. Pritzker's massive statewide gambling expansion. Here's the quote from Fructor during their virtual meeting. Quote, like all government agencies and private businesses, the board's work has been impacted by COVID-19. This is not an excuse or a crutch. It is simply a recognition of the realities that work and life are different. In a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. By the way, did he did he really write? I would see if they're holding a winning hand, or did you come up with that? No, that was Armand Trout. That was Armand Trout, baby. I give him credit. You know, hold, get the joke, everybody. Holding a winning. Oh hand. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You Armand Trout? Uh, you slickster. <laughs> no, he's like he'll be in his eighties next week, ladies and gentlemen. He's got a does great imitations. Yeah. No, I think uh, Chicago was looking forward to ah the good old days of the. Uh, uh, pre-pandemic days when we would talk about 
the casino coming to Chicago. Remember that day, the back and forth on the casino and first they passed the law enabling Chicago to have a casino. Then they had to go back and redo the law because apparently the casino operators weren't going to make enough money. <laughs> so we had to redo it, but take care of them. You know, like it's, they weren't going to make enough money, like squeezing dummies, go in and give their money away. But uh, no, the casino was needed to, um, this is gonna get really complicated. The casino was needed uh, to raise revenues uh, to uh, support the police pensions. That's what uh, the money was gonna be dedicated to. The Chicago casino was gonna be dedicated to paying uh, police pensions. So good God, the reverberations of this pandemic, which is, we're seeing it all in many ways. So how are we gonna pay those obligations? I mean, well, we have a fair tax proposal on the ballot. Well, one way to pay those obligations is uh, to raise the tax rate on the highest earners in the state of Illinois. That's one way of doing it. Oh, nope, all the highest earners in the state of Illinois have pooled their money, got 50 million or more than 50 million to air TV commercials trying to urge middle-class people, including pensioners, uh, to vote against it. So it's all tied together. I just, I wrote a column in the reader wondering if police supporters on the Northwest side, including pensioners or retirees, were going to vote no, uh, just because what? They don't like J.B. Pritzker. He's not that popular a guy in the state of Illinois, D, uh, these days, as uh, we've been talking about. So, yeah, it's all tied together. If there's no casino, uh, there's no money in Chicago. There's no money for the police pensions coming from the casino. So we have to worry about that. Uh, yeah, D, uh, we better hurry up and come up with some kind of... Uh, some kind of a vaccine for COVID because the bills and debts just keep piling up. All right, uh, let's get a let's get a prediction here. Uh, a month and a year of when we may see a, a Chicago casino. We will not see a Chicago casino until twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty five. You hear that, Fructor? <laughs> 2025. I'm throwing that out there. Holy hey, cow. Really? 2025? Take, take it to Vegas. 2025. Put your money down, ladies and gentlemen. You can't take it to Chicago because we don't have a casino. But take it to Vegas, all right? Put your money down. 2025. Yep, that's what I said. What do you say? I'm going to write it down. Uh, I say 2022. That's actually very smart. See, what you did oh, was you. very smart. Because what he did, ladies and gentlemen, is he went with 2022. He figured, hmm, I'll go lower. More likelihood that I then I scoop up. Let's say it's 2023. I win. That brain was going. It's called hours of watching the prices right. All right. You always go under. <laughs> you can learn a lot from the prices, um, right? $1, Bob. Always that jerk that say $1. And everybody look at him like, oh, you dirty bastard. $1. By the way, we got to get Neil Muhammad back on this show. Neil Muhammad, uh, when you were talking about the prices, right? He was on Jeopardy's. Pound for pound. I don't know. I don't want to say this because I don't make it seem like I'm insulting my other guests. But I, I was going to say the smartest guests we have. But we have a lot of smart people come on the show. But. <laughs> Certainly the most knowledgeable. You know what I mean? He knows like knows everything. He's so much fun to talk to. It's been so long since we had him on. Neil Mahama, we've got to bring him back after the election. All right, Ben. Well, I don't know about you, but all this pandemic news is stressing me out a bit. What do you say we go for a drive, huh? 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Getting right. that car. All right, all right. The magic number is now five. Only five days until Election Day. And right now, we're about to travel to one of our congressional districts right here in the state of Illinois and get to know some of the candidates looking to win on Tuesday. Ben, <laughs> do you have your mask? Uh, yeah. Hold on. Got the mask. All Wait, right. We're getting in the car. Great, great. Okay, let's get in the car here. Hold on. Wait, hold Let me. Hold on. Oh, you got the change? Got the change for the tolls. All let's right. Go. Let's get in. Okay, we're in the car now. Now we're running a little late, buddy, so strap in and hold on tight. It's time right. to meet the candidates. Holy crap. Meet the candidates. Okay, we're here. Get out. <laughs> well, that was fast. Today, fast driver. today, we're in portions of Cook and DuPage counties. We're in the 5th Congressional District, and today we're going to learn more about our Democratic and Republican candidates, Mike Quigley and Tom Hansen. There's also other candidates running in this race. Uh, we have Thomas Wilda of the Green Party and Frank Router, Independent, right in. Those are the candidates running in that one. All right. Uh, so we first, let's begin with the incumbent one, Mike Quigley. Ben, you actually know Mike Quigley. He's been on the show before. Tell us about Mike Quigley and uh, your thoughts on his race here. Mike Quigley. I've known Mike Quigley since. Let me do a thought. Oh, my goodness, D. I want to say 1983. <laughs> wow. No pun intended, That's but you're really milking this butter cow <laughs> a bit today. No pun intended, but the pun was received, and I like it. I'm really milking it. <laughs> no, I met Mike Quigley way back when. He was a young activist living in uh, Lakeview. He grew up in DuPage County, and I uh, moved to Chicago, as do many uh DuPage County teens. As soon as they can, they get the hell out of the suburbs. Come to the big city. Moved to Lakeview. This is the early 80s. Uh, got involved in Democratic politics. Became an aide to uh, then Alderman Bernie Hansen of the uh, 44th Ward. Thank you, Dee, for knowing that. Uh, and when I first met him, he was a young activist, believe it or not, uh, on uh, in the movement against lights in Wrigley Field. Talk about a hopeless cause against lights and Wrigley Field. This is before you were born, D. Uh, this is way back when, believe it or not, the Chicago Cubs, they play in this stadium called Wrigley Field. There were no lights. This is going into the 80s. In 1984, the Chicago Cubs made it to the playoffs. They played the San Diego Padres, uh, and they had to give away their home advantage because the contract with, the, the, with, the, um, uh, with NBC, I think it was, specified that there had to be night games on the weekends and the Wrigley Field had no lights. And when the Chicago Tribune bought the Cubs, they said, we are putting lights in Wrigley Field and residents in Lakeview rallies said, no lights, it's gonna disturb our neighborhood. And quickly, young Mike Quigley, young lad, he was about 22, I wanna say, 20, I don't forget how old he was. He was a young guy. 22? Uh, <laughs> Okay, you're milking that cow bit a little too much. <laughs> I swear to God, I didn't mean to do that 22. He was 22. So that's when I first met him. He gave me all great. I was writing articles for the reader. I was I was a young, enterprising journalist. Oh, let me take that quote, Mr. Quigley. 
I watched him rise to the ranks as an aide to Bernie Hansen. Then he ran for alderman. I'm doing this off the top of my head, D. This is a cry for help. He ran in 1991 as alderman in the 46th ward against Ellen Schiller and lost. Sometimes I, I think this entire TV. show is a cry for help sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> I can't believe I know that. How do I know that? Sad. It's really sad. How did I know that Robert Shaw was the alderman before Anthony Beale? How do I know that? Someone help this yeah, man. Yeah, I don't know how to work a cell phone. You know? Well, I should trade it all in for the ability to, like, post something on Twitter. Uh, Dennis, can you help me? I want to post something on Twitter. I'm really busy now. I don't have time to help you, okay? <laughs> never happened. The conversation never happened. So, yeah, so uh, he got uh, Helen Schiller defeated him. And in those days, this is really weird. Uh, Quigley was running as sort of a... Uh, uh, a, a mayor daily supporter. And so what he did, he said, you know what? I've, he started off as this community activist, then became a member sort of of the, uh, uh, the mayor daily crew and city council or the mayor daily crew, uh, in Chicago politics. He went a little independent. He got elected to the Cook County board of commissioners and he became a voice, uh, for reform. And when I really got to know him is when he, for a moment, was thinking of running for mayor of Chicago and he seized on TIFFs as an issue and I was only too happy to help him. Uh, and to his credit, he, he set aside to, uh, two of his smartest aides to write a whole book on TIFFs, a great study on TIFFs. I've got to give them a, a lot of credit. And, um, and he used that issue to make a name for himself. Uh, and when Rahm Emanuel left Congress uh, to become chief of staff to Barack Obama in one of the dumbest moves that Barack Obama has ever made and deciding it was a good idea to have a thoroughly unlikable human being like Rahm Emanuel be his uh, chief of staff. Uh, Quigley uh, ran to replace Rahm. I think there were eight or nine. I forget. There were a lot of candidates in that race and Quigley won it and he's unbeatable. Chicago loves its congressman. This is something weird about Chicago. In 2018, Samina Mustafa ran against him from the left. I thought it was one of the best campaigns I'd ever seen. She was respectful. She didn't she didn't turn it into an attack on Quigley. She ran on issues. I had her on the show several times as a candidate. Really respected Samina Mustafa. I thought, wow, she may beat him. Nope. He beat Samina Mustafa. Uh, and so I just assume he's unbeatable, D. Chicagoans oh, wow. love their Congress people. It's like you know, they sent him to Congress, and that's it. I don't want to think about the Nope. Remember when uh, Barack Obama ran against Bobby Rush back in two thousand? You were, you were, you were. You may, no, you were still in uh, all. Yeah, I uh, didn't. I didn't care back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Bobby Rush mopped the floor with him. Come here, you little whippersnapper. Unbeatable every time. Unbeatable, Unbeatable. says Ben Jarofsky. Unbeatable. Very bold Unbeatable. statement. Beatable. Bold statement. Unbeatable. Unless, wait, I have to make this? Unless they, they get, like, caught. Danny Rosinkowski, who is the congressman of the 5th Congressional, oh, my God, I, before, way, way before uh, Quigley uh, was uh, defeated in 1994. But he was, like, on his way to jail. You know what I'm saying, D? So it takes that. And Quigley is an honest guy, I will say that. So I don't think he's ever going to get caught in a corruption scam. All right, so I have no ads from Mike Quigley to play. And after we learn about his challenger, you'll know why he didn't waste his money on that. <laughs>
But I went to Quigley's website, uh, uh, and here's a little bit about his stance on health care, all right? He says here, I was proud that one of my earliest votes in Congress was the Affordable Care Act because it ensures that millions of Americans have access to affordable, quality health care. In light of the House vote in favor of the American Health Care Act, I will continue to fight through, the, uh, through all this process and otherwise to protect Americans with pre-existing conditions and ensuring quality, affordable care for all. So there you go. That's a little bit about Mike Quigley, the incumbent Democrat of the 5th Congressional District. Now to Quigley's Republican challenger, Tommy Hansen. <laughs> Holy cow, this dude is haggard, all right? Uh, didn't go to his website to find out where he stands on issues, but I did find this video that he posted himself on his Facebook page. Tommy Hansen, I'm running for Congress in the Illinois 5th Congressional District. The city of Chicago needs to be unmasked. The state of Illinois needs to be unmasked because the mask is a lie. The mask that you see around the city is a big lie. The impeachment of President Trump was a lie. The COVID-19 virus is a farce. The Black Lives Matter protest is a lie. It's a farce. All that's happening right now is our city has been divided between hate and divisiveness and people that don't believe and what's going on in the city. Yeah, kick back and smoke a doobie, Quigley. You got this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was taking notes. You know, the, the, Lori Lightfoot was kind of with him for a while when he was talking about COVID. <laughs> no masks. You know, Lori had that little moment where she was flirting with uh, her inner MAGA, and then she retreated from Well, he did but, weigh uh, in on the mayor as well. The city of Chicago needs a plan, and the mayor has got to stop thinking about herself. Wait, what plan for what? If it's all a hoax, what's the plan needed? It's like, wait, you're all, mixed message. And by the way, everything is a lie until we got to COVID and COVID was a farce. So what's the difference between a lie and a farce? Yeah, I've been trying to figure that one out ever since I yeah. watched it. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, why is one a lie and the other a farce? Does that mean it's not, a, it's true, but it's funny? Does that mean it's true, but people are like running through, you know, like a farce? Like they run in through one door and run out the other door? That kind of farce? I need more details, Mr. Hansen. Details, okay? Any lunatic votes for Tommy Hansen in the 5th Congressional District should lose their voting license. Just saying. Tommy Hansen, I'm running for Congress in the Illinois 5th Congressional District. The city of Chicago needs to be unmasked. Oh, that's enough, uh, Hansen. <laughs> By the way, D.I.F., Somebody uh, sent me a uh, question. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> you don't say. A, a fifth congressional district question. Then the question begins. Since you know absolutely everything about everything in the fifth congressional district, tell me this. Is it a requirement for opponents to Mike Quigley to be named Tom? Excellent question, questionnaire. I noticed this. That wasn't a question. <laughs> What's a question? I referred it as a question. It's made that Notice up. Repu <laughs> Republican Tom Hansen, Green Party candidates, Tom Wilda. Ooh, they're all. <laughs> Quick, get Alex Jones on the phone. Something's going. <laughs> Something's going on here. It's like pollsters who work for the New York Times. It's a requirement. They must be Nate. They have to be called Nate. Nate Silver. Nate Cohen. 
Tommy Hansen, Thomas Wilda. Oh my God. I don't think yeah. I can. I, I I can't continue to do the show right now. I have to step away from the board. Oh my goodness! Chicago needs to be unmasked. Well, that's my platform. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm running on a platform of nobody wears masks. We're gonna pass a law that nobody has. You not? No, you can't wear a mask even if you want to. It's like that crazy sheriff in Florida. Uh, I've come to the decision. I'm following the science. And the science leads me to say that no masks will be allowed in my jail. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have the documents. Have you ever noticed that someone that runs against Mike Quigley is always named Tom? (laughs) The globalists are taking over, ladies and gentlemen. There's fluoride in the water. We'll be right back. Wait, what about your neighbor? I'm going to eat my neighbor's ass. We'll be right back. (laughs) By the way, Alex Jones was on the Joe Rogan show the other day. I have not listened to it yet. I just want to point out. I watched the whole thing. It's annoying. (laughs) It's about 20 million people watched that show. We got a ways to go, D. We're very proud of the fact that we broke 700,000 or like 702,000 downloads. Joe Rogan, you invited Alex Jones to be on your show. Stop fact-checking the guy every six seconds. Let him riff. Come on. Let him go. uh, it's, It's the same thing. You either don't invite him on or you just bring him on and let him be the buffoon that he is. But don't all of a sudden pretend... You know what I mean? You're uh, Rachel Maddow. No, you're the part of the little dance that Alex Jones does, which is utter lunacy, or you're not. We're going to have a serious conversation with Alex Jones. Why? That's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's nothing remotely serious about Alex Jones. Yeah. By the way, I'm inviting a clown over for the party. What's he going to do? Tell poetry. Well, what the... (laughs) No, we want the clown over to be funny. What are you doing? You have the clown on. He's he is a clown. If you don't want, you know, if you don't want to be held accountable for the things that he says that are potentially dangerous or life threatening, then don't have him on. And by the way, when are you going to have us on? Oh yeah. You know what I mean? You know? Can oh. you? Oh God. Do you think they would fly you and me down the all? Uh, Don't you see a nervous Dennis? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <laughs> I, I love you, Joe. I could, I, I've listened to you forever. It's true. Uh, Joe Rogan, I just can't say how happy I am to be here. Hey, come on, Rogan. Hey, Ben, let's get the hell out of here. Let's get in the car. Later, 5th Congressional District. That was Meet the Candidates. Hold on, buddy. Whoa! Meet the Candidates. Now we're back. Get out. Uh, God. You know, I didn't have to use the uh, toll money because we live in the 5th Congressional District. I know. You bring that money every time. All right, everybody, uh, make sure to follow us online uh, at Benny J Show, B-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Show at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show at gmail.com. <laughs> Leave your name and where you're from if you'd like us to read your message on the program. It's always helpful. 
and you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. That's right, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Ben, we got a call at 1030 last night. Hmm. They didn't leave a message. Really? Yeah, what are you doing? We're not going to answer the the thing, all right? So just leave us a message, and there's a good chance we will play your voicemail on the program. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, Miles Camp-Lassen will be joining us. Ben, give these people a reason to keep listening. What are you going to talk with Miles about? Oh, man, come on. We're going to talk lefty politics with Miles Camp-Lassen. There's a story in these times about the movement by lefties to defeat Trump in Michigan. Caught me off guard. Very interesting. It's, uh, they're showing that uh, lefties, it's not that they love Joe Biden, duh. <laughs> we all know that. Uh, but uh, this time around, uh, they're serious about the threat of Trump. So uh, that's just one of the many things we're gonna talk I may, I may get a prediction out of Miles and no ducking and dodging with him. I'm gonna make him take a stand on Pritzker versus Lori Lightfoot all. Just hearing that, he's probably not going to call. Oh, in. wow. I was going to say, I know he listens to the show. I'll wait for the email for him to cancel. Oh, I'm scared. Uh, sorry, I can't. Oh. <laughs> no, I got, he's not going to duck and dodge. He's a dolphin, all right? Dolphins are tough. All right, everybody. The Ben Jarofsky Show will be right back. This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the President of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's Attorney, over 60 judges, our Water Reclamation District Commissioners, and changes to our taxes. With all of these races, candidates, and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop, take it with you into the voting booth on your phone, and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for. chicagovotes.com Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. With us to uh, discuss politics, Miles uh, <laughs> Conflassen, pride and joy of In These Times, pride and joy of uh, Jacobin Magazine, and Whitney Young High School. Let's not forget that he's a proud dolphin. Uh, Miles, welcome back to the show. Looking very good, very safe and sound. Very good to be here, Ben. All right. Now, look, uh, I have a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Lefties in Michigan, uh, the a- the shout out that AOC gave to In These Times, uh, the potential. Oh, I don't want to look too far ahead of uh, the Democratic Party uh, taking charge of the Senate uh, and the White House. Uh, your predictions for Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Bannon and Trump disinformation, the article you wrote in that. But I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I got this uh, text message right before I went on the air from one of our listeners, Frank. And Frank, thank you very much for sending this to me because I was not aware of this. MSNBC's Chuck Todd. Now, I, I don't, uh, I may have told you this, Miles. I don't spend a lot of time watching uh, TV, so I'm not really familiar with Chuck Todd. I know who he is. Uh, he's a guy with like the weird like Fu Manchu thing going on, uh, but this, uh, I just this notion that uh, lefties 
or liberals have to bend over backward to be fair. Sometimes I think lefties and liberals take it too far. So Chuck Todd, uh, he was trying to demonstrate that there are very fine questions on both sides. It's like false equivalency. So we had Daily Costa's founder on the show uh, and Michael Steele was on the show. And he asked, uh, is in their humble opinion, is, is Joe Biden going uh, too far with the mask, wearing the mask? Is he taking COVID too seriously? And uh, <laughs> I had to shake my head. Uh, somebody wrote, uh, some blogger wrote, what an insult to the quarter of a million people who have died from it. What an insult to the families. It's just offensive to have Chuck Todd toss off that question because he has a pathological need for balance. One that says if we have a president who thinks the way to deal with the virus is to ignore it and let people die while they will, while the other guy must have a way of dealing with it, that's bad, too. I agree with this dude, uh, Miles. I just wonder what your thoughts are on this. This notion, it's, it's, it's like with climate change. You know, with, it's like lefties know that they're right on this issue, but like we're t- this, these journalistic precepts, that it's so hard, even for liberal journalists who have a liberal audience. Like, well, you know, 3% of scientists, most of whom are demented, disagree with what 97% say. And Miles, man, just like why would Chuck Todd want to give any kind of what? Credibility to the notion that Joe Biden is doing something wrong by promoting the need to wear a mask. Help me out here, Miles. What's going on with journalism today? Well, I think some would say that this is an example of how the Trump uh, administration has been very effective in their ability to essentially defeat journalism and in order to collapse uh, actual truth-telling and reporting and bring it down to... uh, a fight that uh, exists between the version of reality that they're presenting versus whatever the other side says, you know, and treating both sides the same. I think, uh, you know, you were very right to bring up uh, climate and the question of climate, which you're completely correct. The, um, all of the, the experts are in unanimity in terms of agreeing that the planet is warming due due to uh, human uh, you know, involvement in the uh, release of carbon into the atmosphere through the burning of fossil fuels. That's, you know, settled. That's settled science. And it's been for decades now. It's unbelievable that it's, you know, treated as an uh, issue where there's two sides, you know, arguing it. The other one I would say, though, is uh, the question of voting and democracy. I mean, yes. it's completely clear, I think, that the Republican strategy this election is to depress turnout and to suppress the vote as much as possible. They, you know, if, if you look across the board, that has been their um, entire, you know, tool set. Uh, this election has been, if you look, just look at the rulings in Pennsylvania just the other day, um, even in uh, North Carolina, you know, there was a more positive one for the Democrats, but it treats it as if voting as a partisan um, issue, you know, uh, and, and I think that's very similar to this question of the pandemic. Um, there's no doubt that you're, you know, you're, you're right. The United States has among the developed world, the worst, uh, death rate in the, um, on the, on the globe. And, um, 
it's destroyed our economy. I mean, look around us. We can't even, you know, you were talking earlier about sports being canceled, school being canceled. This is going to have monumental effects for um, people's lives for, for years and years to come. So the concept that we're somehow overreacting to the pandemic um, at the time that it's, you know, casting this massive uh, negative impact upon our society is, I think, a real failure on the part of journalism. We shouldn't be um, just treating both sides as if they are, uh, and I make air quotes when I say that, because, you know, it's not, you can, any opposition campaign to, uh, you know, respected science and to accepted expertise can present themselves as an alternative um, that doesn't mean they should be treated uh, equally in either the pages of journalism or on uh, cable news. Even I would say I'm not shocked because, as a you know left wing uh, journalist myself, I have saw throughout the primary campaign how, for example, the Bernie Sanders campaign was treated by uh, people like Chuck Todd, and it was uh, treated dismissively. I think that. It's, he's not ex- an exemplar of the kind of journalism, that, a respectable journalism that I hope to see in the, the mainstream media. So I'm not completely shocked by that, but I think you're completely right. And whoever it was that brought that up to you is right to call that out because we create these false equivalencies. And as a result, um, it just brings us down to the lowest common denominator. And I think it's a real failure on the um, part of mainstream journalism in our society that that's what we've been reduced to is treating Trump and his sycophants uh, claims about things like uh, climate change and voting and the coronavirus as if they're equally valid as those by, you know, the respected science. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really sad. Yeah, you. Uh, there's a couple things that you said that I want to follow up on. One is talking about depressing the vote as much as they can. Uh, suppressing it, uh, and then you made a uh, reference to sports being canceled. Something we've been talking about on the show. Might as well uh, let's start with the the latter one first. It just puts you right on it. I said I was going to put you on the spot right before we brought you on the show, so let's put you on the spot. Um, Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, and Governor J.P. Pritzker had a difference of opinion for about a day on the issue of whether there should be uh, a, a the state should uh, order all the restaurants in Chicago, well, statewide, but including the ones in Chicago, uh, shut down. Uh, my humble opinion, I already put this out there, is that Lori cut uh, Pritzker off at the knees with this, uh, and she was doing uh, the bidding of the Illinois uh, Restaurant Association, um, and there's no way that Chicago should get a special exemption if the rest of the state has to shut down. You either open them all up or you close them all down. And I still don't understand what Lori Leifert was up to by cutting off uh, Pritzker at the knees in this. He's in enough trouble as it is throughout the state. Uh, what's your thoughts about this? When you look around, I don't know if you've seen this or any listeners have, but uh, I've passed many uh restaurants and bars too that say they have signs out front now that say by order of the mayor we're closing you know uh, on i guess tomorrow for uh, for for at least two weeks i think it's just a matter of good cop bad cop and she wants to be the good cop you know the one that's fighting for the small businesses and you know but it just flies in the face of her what she has spent the past 
six months trying to build up, which is this image as uh, stay home, safe lives. Like I'm, you know, the, uh, the stern school administrator who's going to, you know, keep you at home. Um, now she's kind of pivoting, right? And she's saying, I'm going to fight for the restaurants to stay open. And she even said, which I found really troubling. She said, go out and get your, go to a restaurant while you still can. You know, and so last night I have a friend who's an Uber Eats driver and he said he's never seen the restaurants as packed as he saw last night when he was picking up to deliver food. Um, and I think it has to do with that because she's, you know, even though it's against the scientific advice, I mean, look what's happening in Chicago. Our rates are spiking. Um, I'm actually in, you know, quarantine isolation right now because a, a friend of mine got a positive result. So it's everywhere, you know, and, and the fact that, she's trying to play as if there's, you know, she's fighting for working people. Look, what we need is these restaurants and bars in order to survive and in order for their employees to um, be able to survive this period, they need more financial support. And we've seen that on the federal level, that is non-existent. You know, Mitch McConnell has now adjourned the Senate until after the election. So we're pretty much guaranteed not to have another stimulus package um, with some direct funding towards uh, towards businesses and also towards state municipal budgets. Uh, what we need is to, you know, create revenue streams so that they can stand to keep their employees on their health insurance, to keep them, you know, getting their paycheck. That's what we've, we've talked about this plenty of times. That's what mm-hmm. other countries did at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Other cities across the country are doing that, though, through some different revenue streams. And there's so many progressive revenue options that this mayor has just waved her hand at things from, you know, reinstating the corporate head tax, for example, to put a more progressive real estate tax downtown into place things that would actually bring in some revenue that we could do without even state action um she's been very resistant to and i think in this case yeah she wanted to be seen as the good cop and treat pritzker as oh well i had to back down because it's you know governor's orders of course you have to you know but he's the governor he's the uh, head administrator of the state and you're completely right to say it would look so horrible if we were like, oh, Chicago got a carve out in this, the, the largest city in the state when other counties have to uh, shut down their, their indoor dining. So that's my take on it. But that, that said, like the, the United States just really didn't do anything about this pandemic. You know, you look at other countries, their contact tracing. Who, who, who among your listeners has ever gotten a call from a contact tracing? <laughs> just didn't do that. And so to say now, oh, well, yeah. forget about it, or like the fifth uh, district guy you played earlier who said Chicago needs to be unmasked, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's just absurd. It's like we didn't do the things that we needed to do to get into a place where we could reopen, either restaurants or sports or schools. And so now we can't. And so blaming, you know, just trying to blame politicians for that, the politicians that need to be blamed are the ones that are actually doing the decision making. It's not... Um, even Governor Pritzker. I mean, Pritzker, I think, of the governors across the country has actually been one of the most effective and ahead of the game um, in terms of putting in place certain restrictions and things. But those restrictions have to be coupled with some type of financial support to keep people afloat, I think. All right. Now let's go back to the first part of what you had to say, depressing the vote, suppressing the vote. Uh, that's the Republican strategy that Donald, that's Donnie Trump's strategy. Uh, it was uh, fairly successful in 2016. And um, in the states of Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, it gave him what he needed. 
to take those states and win an electoral college victory. Uh, there's just an article in these times dealing with efforts by lefties in Michigan. I found it a very encouraging article. Uh, and I say this not because I love Joe Biden. I really despise Trumpism and I want Donald Trump to be ousted and I want the Democrats to take over the Senate. And then I want the Democrats to get uh, serious about uh, good lefty legislation. But we'll put that aside for the moment. What comes if the Democrats are to prevail? Uh, it's kind of an encouraging article. Why don't you go into a little bit about what's happening in Michigan? The left is taking uh, Donald Trump a little more serious in 2020 than they did in 2016. Go ahead. Yeah. So Time Magazine wrote a piece uh, a few weeks ago on the Biden's campaign in Michigan, which they referred to in the article as an invisible campaign, um, basically signaling because they don't have a, a, at least at the time, they didn't have an active canvassing up, door knocking operation. They didn't have field offices and they didn't have ways for regular people to kind of connect to, um, to help to in Michigan and from other parts of the country to help make sure that this pivotal state, which we know in 2016, Trump won by just over 10,000 votes. That's a minute. That's like nothing, you know, there's millions and millions and millions of voters in the state. So, um, th this is a real case where we, the, the state will almost assured, it'll almost assuredly be close in Michigan. And there's polls even showing Trump, um, winning in the state. So this is a critical task for people who want to see Trump defeated to, uh, uh, to turn out voters in the state. Uh, to vote Democrat. And so with this article by my um, colleague Eli Day is about, he's based in Detroit. It's about uh, all the, these different more left-wing progressive grassroots groups that are filling that void that was left by this invisible campaign, you know, to do the work of actually text, texting voters, phone banking, um, even doing door knocking, doing deep canvassing work as well, which is something that groups like People's Action and National Network have really focused on this election, which is more in depth than your usual type of um, outreach work around, you know, campaigns. Uh, and they've been effective in it. They've gotten uh, tons of uh, support built for uh, for the Biden for Biden and the whole Democratic ticket. There's also a contested Senate race uh, mm. in the state, as well as tons of other races going on. So um, that I agree, it's it is encouraging. It's unfortunate that I think that the Biden campaign. I mean, there's been some, you know, Biden and Obama are apparently going to go there now to do some kind of last ditch campaign event, but. There has not been, I think, the kind of investment of resources in the state that I would have liked to see by the Biden campaign, considering how much cash they have on hand. But in that, with that gap, these left wing groups that, as you as you point out, are largely opposed to Biden in the sense of his you know, political vision. They're much more left wing. Um, they're uh, doing the work to make sure he gets into office and defeats Trump because they see Trump as not only a threat towards to progressive policies, but also a threat to our democracy itself. Um, and that I think is being mirrored across the country and other states where, uh, where 
there's uh, grassroots left-wing groups that are taking this election very seriously. Not to say that the Biden campaign is not taking it seriously, but I think they haven't really done uh, as much work as they could. And in place of that, it's groups, ironically enough, that are a lot of them, you know, they went for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren in the primary, but they're the ones that are stepping up now and um, doing the actual grunt work of trying to make sure that there's a turnout at a high enough level that uh, this president can't uh, steal the election as he has signaled he is going to try to do. For as long as I can remember in this century, I'm just going to deal with this century, the 21st century, Miles. Um, lefties, many lefties that I know, dear friends of mine, have told me, Ben, there's no difference ultimately between Democrats and Republicans. So I, I just don't care which one gets elected. This is a lot of the attitude Ralph Nader had in 2020, uh, in 2000. I uh, had this. I remember in 2012 uh, uh, having a conversation with a, a friend of mine, a lefty, who um, uh, had just voted for uh, the Green Party over Barack Obama. And I remember him saying there's no difference between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. Um, is your sense that this this attitude has dissipated from your friends? You hear, do you hear this, ad, this uh, argument uh, put forth? as much now in 2020 as you did in the past? Well, I'll preface this by saying I don't think that, by and large, that um, the role of the left has been large enough or influential enough to swing any of these elections in the past. So um, I agree that in 2000, that was a factor in Florida and other places with the Nader vote. Uh, Actually, in 2016, it was largely the Gary Johnson vote, I think, that had a much larger effect than the Jill Stein vote if you look at, you know, the actual results, um, the Libertarian candidate versus the Green Party candidate. Uh, so I wouldn't put all of the blame on, you know, hardcore lefties. I think, unfortunately, the uh, American left has been not strong or large enough to have as big of an impact, although they do nothing get blamed when the Democrats is. Um, but that said, I do I, I agree with you, your premise that I think this is different. I have friends that were... Um, and people that I just, you know, know through, uh, through networks from being, you know, in the left for uh, many, many years now that before never would have considered ever doing and lifting a finger for a Democrat, for, a, you know, any kind of centrist Democrat nominee for the president, actually people that would have said to abstain or to vote for Green Party, uh, even in swing states. Um, that talked about, you know, sheepdogging or just kind of confusing people and pushing them into the Democratic Party. There's way less of that this year. There's a lot of those people actually are the people that are doing them that I know that are doing the most work in terms of that same type of outreach stuff, uh, whether it's phone banking or texting and swing states. Uh, then I've seen other people I know that do that were even, you know, Biden supporters that were that are more centrist Democrats. It's the lefties that are some of the most engaged people this time around. I think it's largely because not just the threat that Trump poses. I think it's partially um, defensive in that sense and that, you know, we understand that Trump is a threat to us as individuals, you know, because we're we speak out against the government's crimes, but also uh, it's slightly optimistic in the sense that, look, if we can get a Biden presidency and we can uh, increase the squad, you know, the level of the the amount of progressives that are in Congress, uh, which are likely to come in if there's a good turnout on election day. And then we can start pushing towards some of the policies that, uh, that the, 
left that progressives, what have you, have been advocating for a long time, whether it's the Green New Deal, whether it's Medicare for all, none of that's going to happen under Trump. And so uh, strategically, it makes sense to put some effort into this election right now, at least in the short term, and then fight like hell to make sure that those things get implemented under a potential Biden administration. But abstaining uh, this election, I think, is especially because of all the voter suppression we've seen uh, is just effectively handing the election to the Republicans. And that's not something I think that most of us can uh, stomach this time around. Yeah, I'm with you 100 percent. And by the way, I I really uh, I've been a a vote shaming uh, reform for the last couple of days, promising many of my guests who come on the show. They they accuse me of vote voter shaming. So I'm really trying hard not to shame voters. Uh, That said, I've never of all the voter shaming that I've done. I'd love to indulge in it. Miles, I got to tell you, it's sort of like my. my secret vice, not so secret vice of all the voter shaming I've done. I've really not, I've never really indulged myself as many of my liberal friends do with blaming the left, uh, great blaming green party voters for not supporting uh, Hillary Clinton or Al Gore. You know what I'm, I've just, I'm like, guys, I know green party. You're not giving them anything. You know, why would they? So I've never gone there with uh, voter shaming. I think you rightly uh, uh, shamed people for voting for people like Rahm Emanuel yes. and complaining about him because, you know, you know what you're going to get. You, you know, it's a fool me once kind of situation. And I think that you're right to do that. Yeah, I do that. I can't stop. I just did it today. Even though I promised Amisha Patel, I would never do it again. I broke that promise almost immediately. Sorry, Amisha Patel. All right. Uh, part of voter suppression and uh, a cousin of voter suppression is disinformation. Uh, you just you just sort of get people sour on the process by putting out uh, uh, phony information. Uh, this, Trump was very effective. This Steve Bannon, the brains of the operation, was very effective. This uh, in uh, 2016. What's what's the current state of uh, disinformation from the Bannon Trump camp in 2020? Well, it's it, it's not good. I'll tell you that much. For, before I go into that, I do want to just give a little plug because you shouted out the great Amisha Patel, uh, executive director of Grassroots Collaborative, and she has a great piece up at InTheseTimes.com right now on uh, the fair tax. And, you know, it's an op-ed, so it's why you should support the fair tax, but it also calls out all of the billion conservative right-wing billionaires that are, you know, funding the opposition campaign to it. So I encourage everybody to, uh, to, to read that. Yeah, things are not good. I mean, look at uh, what is going on on Fox News. If there ever was a kind of example of two different political realities, it's watching Fox News versus watching literally any other, uh, you know, cable news or mainstream news or network news uh, station, because what they're talking about is this guy, Bobolinsky, some former, you know, Hunter Biden associate talking about alleged questionable business dealings in China or they're talking about, I mean, the big thing that they're, the, uh, the right is pushing out is uh, this question, th- this fear that it's the Democrats that are going to steal the election. Um, and what this speaks to, there was, you know, there was some kind of one of these war game scenarios that came out that there was some footnote that said something about a scenario where the Democrats could 
claim victory, even though they didn't have enough votes. This has been run with with the right and all these extremist online groups are sharing it, basically claiming that the Democrats are planning a coup is what they say on election day. And the problem with that is that all of these groups like the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters and even the Proud Boys, a lot of these extremist groups um, are heeding that, you know, and they're already doing uh, things according that thinking they're following Trump's orders. There was a uh, in Florida, there was a whole camp of armed uh, Trump supporters that were stationed outside of polling sites um, in Pennsylvania. There's been people even associated with the Trump campaign that have been monitoring and videotaping voters as they go into uh, polling places. This has been, you know, the case across the country. So it's not just that it's rhetoric; it's it's being um, picked up and run with by uh, a lot of these real extreme uh, Trump supporters. And then the other thing is this whole uh, uh, conspiracy that uh, this QAnon fueled that, that Hunter Biden is involved in this really, you know, it's horrific to even talk about, but it's basically child sex torture ring um, that they say that his supposed laptop, none of this has been, you know, verified whatsoever. It's all spurious and baseless, but this is what they're putting out there that he's, you know, part of this cabal uh, that is uh, torturing children. So these, this is the kind of disinformation that's out there now. And I think that you're right is that it, what it does, it's not just that this motivates Trump voters, right? That it's because it's not putting forward any positive vision or dealing with the problem and problems in people's lives that have resulted from the pandemic and the economic crisis that's resulted it's more just to discourage people from engaging with politics whatsoever and just saying this is you know this is all awful everybody's terrible i'm upset i'm gonna you know uh disengage yeah. essentially and retreat and that's the stated goal even of people like steve bannon who while he might not be still working for the trump administration he has uh, been, he was behind this paper that came out that's saying China sent COVID to the U.S. as like some kind of an attack. He's behind all these uh, uh, Hunter Biden allegations. Uh, so even outside of the administration, Bannon, I think, as a propagandist, uh, you know, extreme propagandist, he's been effective at putting out this disinformation. And it's not just that it's within Fox News. I mean, I brought up Fox News earlier, but this is extended far beyond that. And I think it's breached the walls of uh, news feeds and television sets across the country beyond that usual right wing echo chamber. And as a result, uh, it's having its intended uh, effect. The only way to you know counter that is to really have a mass voter turnout for yeah. Democrats, because otherwise, I do worry about the um, the impact, the suppressive impact of this these type of tactics. I'm with you 100%. We were just talking about that yesterday uh, on the show. It's really important. Even in Illinois, you know, in the past, this notion that Illinois is going to go Democrats, so uh, our vote doesn't matter. No. In this election, I think it's really important just to make that statement uh, that that this is the, the, the popular vote, which, of course, does not determine who gets to uh, take control of the White House and take control of uh, the presidency. The popular vote is really important in terms of sending a message as to the country's attitude toward Trumpism. So I think it's really important that people, even in Illinois, even in like California, New York, blue states, uh, come out and vote. Uh, vote blue, to quote Dennis, vote blue no matter who, in this case, uh, Joey Biden. Uh, all right, let's time for you to get make some predictions. You already laid out what, um, uh, what sort of the two forces uh, at 
play here. Uh, Trump with his disinformation and lefty activists uh, in Michigan. And I know Wisconsin's a little different than Michigan. The, the Democratic Party in Wisconsin's not playing around. I mean, they've been, uh, we had your, your friend Greta Neubauer on the show. They've been serious about fighting Trumpism. Really, this is their reaction because they, uh, when um, they lost to Scott Walker in 2011. So we're still seeing that play out. So I'm happy to say that Wisconsin Democrats are not as uh, clueless as Biden Democrats are uh, in Michigan. All right, so let's get your predictions um, uh, as to uh, who will prevail in this presidential race. We'll start. Uh, well, let's just go. Let's talk about Michigan. It's lefties versus Bannon. Who do you think will win Michigan? Well, as a uh, uh, somebody who's been making phone calls to uh, swing voters in Michigan for a while now, um, something I <laughs> never thought I would be making calls at all. Joe <laughs> Biden, uh, yeah. you know, it's kind of just crazy to even say out loud. But uh, wow. yeah, having having done that, um, and also, I mean, I've been uh, trying to support Peters because we're in a real tough race there, and I think that. Getting Joe Biden elected is uh, critical to warding off some of the uh, horrors that could come under a Trump administration. But having a Democratic Senate is going to be key to doing the second part of what I was talking about earlier. Coupling those things is the way to do outreach right now if you can. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be very, very close. My prediction is that Biden will win. Um, but that's not completely borne out by my experience on the phones. Uh, I, I'm much more worried than many, many of my Democratic friends that just say, oh, you know, it's got it in the bag, as if the polling is somehow uh, the end-all, be-all uh, politics, or as if, like, the polling done by some polling agencies is the same as what's going on from people within the state. So Michigan, I will um, put uh, tentatively in the Biden camp. What's the response you say when you make these phone calls to Michigan? What do you, what kind of response are you getting? Well, Trump, uh, Trump has very strong support in the state. Uh, and it is, uh, even in areas that I've been calling, which is places that swung democratic in 2018. Um, it's very, uh, I've had a very, I'm, you know, I've been, I do calls for candidates all the time from, you know, I've done this for a long time. It's, uh, it's scary, you know, how much, uh, Trump support there is. And even people that did, yeah, vote democratic in 2018 are uh, on the Trump train. So I think his campaign has been effective there. Um, however they've done it. Uh, and that is not a great sign for, for Biden. All right, but you're still going to say Biden wins uh, in Michigan. I'm still going to say this. Look, if Biden doesn't, my my general expectation is that uh, Biden will still, uh, absent massive shenanigans uh, electorally, which are very possible, uh, I think that a Biden uh, win overall, like winning the election will require him. Certainly will require him to win Michigan will require him to win Wisconsin as well. I don't uh, see there's any scenario without that. So yes, I'm going to, I'm going to say Biden's going to win Michigan. I actually, I disagree with you about Michigan and, um, cause things are changed, you know, it, like 
the world's a little different 2020 than 2016. You've already laid out very effectively the change and and part of a lot of people on the left, uh, which is noticeable difference. Uh, but I just feel as though like not all the states are going to line up the way they did. So in other words, Trump could win Michigan, but Biden pin, wins Arizona and Iowa, and you know uh, North Carolina, Florida. They're they're in the mix. So I'm, what I'm saying is, like, I don't know if it's exactly going to be like it was on uh, in 2016. Uh, and, this is, and this is kind of all speculation. I mean, I think ultimately if Joe, I mean, the latest poll I saw today, the Quinnipiac poll put Biden down in Iowa. So I'm, you know, way less uh, confident that, that Biden will win there than in Michigan, for example. But you're right. If he manages to pull off a win there or a win in Florida or a win in Texas, which some of the, you know, more uh, confident Biden supporters proclaim is uh, in, in the works. That's what, 38 electoral votes? If, yeah. Texas, if Biden wins Texas, I think that's game over regardless of a state like Michigan. But I think the only way a win in Texas happens is if there's a real, like a blue wave, you know, like yeah. a real mass Democratic turnout. And that would uh, take, I think that would also uh, lead towards a win in Michigan too. But you're right. We just, we, we, we don't know. It's hard to yeah. completely chart it out. All right, I'm uh, uh, Wisconsin. Biden or Trump? I think I think Biden's got to win Wisconsin, and I think the the likelihood there is even more than than Michigan, yeah. partly just because uh, they, as you said, there's been a lot of work done by Democrats in the state, including Evers and uh, and the, and and the legislature. Um, these are all ca- the, the caveats I have to give on all these, though, is that there's the voter suppression I think is going to be a real thing. And it's not just the intimidation stuff I talked about earlier, like, you know, people showing up armed to the the polls, Mm. scare away Biden voters. Um, But what happens in the courts, you know, and and Wisconsin's court is still uh, uh, got, you know, a lot of Republicans and they could decide. I mean, we saw in 2000 what it looks like to have courts deciding election results and, that Democrats don't fare well under that scenario. Yes. So, um, yeah. uh, all right. And uh, then finally, uh, your prediction, who will be uh, victorious in this upcoming presidential election? Joe Biden, I, Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, uh, ooh. I mean, I think that it will be Biden if the votes are counted. Right. And that's uh, a big if, unfortunately, I think that that's, I don't think that we are, um, like not involved in that. I think that there's, if our democracy is really a democracy, the person who wins the most votes, uh, or at least wins, should win the electoral college, uh, really, uh, there's a responsibility of people who are citizens of this country to make sure that that is borne out and not just to say, oh, we, you know, the courts did this and this was beyond our control and we never could have impacted the election outcome. If there's a real attempt to, uh, to steal this election, which I think that is a strong possibility, uh, it's going to be incumbent on people who 
are politically engaged and care about the future of our country and of our democracy to speak out and speak up and to uh, to not accept a result that is handed down that is undemocratic. And so uh, I hope that that's what happens if and when there is a power grab by uh, uh, Trump and his people. I think they've ex- they've put forward every kind of precondition for that to happen at this point. It's all set up, right? Yeah. And having, having Barrett on, on, on the Supreme Court is part of that. Um, the recent uh, ruling in um, the, the rulings really all across the country. These there's been some that have benefited Democrats supposedly, mm-hmm. but really it's all about vote counting. And if the, if the Republicans try to stop the count of the votes, or they you know put they, Trump said yesterday they need to stop counting the votes after November third, and we know in Pennsylvania they don't they cannot legally begin counting the early votes, the mail-in votes until after all the, until after election day. So yeah. if that's the case, then it's going to be a democratic crisis. And I think under those circumstances, it's possible Trump could try to seize power. But I think if all the votes are counted and it is an actual election that, uh, that Joe Biden will be the next president. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you, by the way, I just want to point this out. You know, this as well as I do, uh, Donnie Trump, there's no principle supporting him. what he says is not rooted in any, any uh like base thought if he emerges november 3rd is november 3rd hits midnight and he's getting swamped suddenly he'll be singing a new tune we have to count every vote every vote must be counted and you will watch a flip-flop on the part of the republican rhetoric you know what i'm saying it'll be all of a sudden uh-uh we have to wait for all these ballots to come in and and, and this is you know this is miles i've said this before i may have said this to you there was an election, a congressional election in California earlier this summer where the Republicans won by virtue of a mail-in vote. They beat the Democrats at their own game in the mail-in vote. I didn't hear one word from Republicans about voter fraud. This is all just tactics by the Republican Party. And you're right. If, if Donnie Trump looks like he's closing in on an electoral college victory on November 3rd, He's going to immediately call for an end of vote counting. And Brett Kavanaugh has already said, already signaled in one of his rulings that he would vote with Donnie on that one. But if it's reversed, you're going to see the biggest flip-flop in the history of American politics where Donald Trump will be suddenly saying every vote must be counted. I think you're you're right on on that completely. (laughs) If there's any chance that... Biden is ahead on election night. No doubt Trump's going to want this to go on for as long as possible um, and just to delay it, essentially. But if you there's a recent piece in The Atlantic about the the Oath Keepers, this group I brought up earlier that um, uh, they're, you know, essentially a militia group. Um, mm-hmm. Their only ideology, essentially, at this point, is Trumpism. I mean, they were um, started under, I think, in 2009 under Obama, but they completely flipped into, even though they were initially kind of an anti-government group, like a lot of these militias, they've just become, um, you know, pro-Trump on every level. So it's this weird contradiction. But what they what they believe um, strongly is what the president says. And a lot of people were kind of confused when after the election, Trump was saying, after he won, right, after he became declared the winner, he was still saying that the election got stolen from him because of the popular vote, because there were millions of illegal 
um, votes cast and therefore the election w- results were false and corrupted, right? And to us, that might seem like, oh, well, why is he even like, talking about that? He's got power. But to them and to a lot of these pro-Trump people, they take that as truth and think that, oh, we already saw uh, yeah. a false election result in 2016. So, of course, they're going to do it again in 2016. Yes. So they're prepared to, as soon as Trump tells them that this vote was, you know, uh, somehow corrupted, they're going to stand up and defend him. So I think that that's the thing that really people, the pro-democracy advocates need to be uh, prepared for. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, uh, uh, when Donald Trump talked that way or laughed, you know, also what he was saying is he could not commit that Hillary Clinton beat him. He just can't psychologically admit she'd be just like the photograph. How many people showed up to hear his inaugural speech as opposed to Obama's speech? He's got this pathological obsession, Miles, with losing. And uh, but you're right. He made a point to say, well, you know, when people say, well, you lost the popular vote. Well, not really. Well, California, all these illegals. All right, uh, let's uh, close with doing some shameless promotion uh, in these times. Uh, Miles is an editor and writer for In These Times. She got a nice shout out from AOC. Talk about that. Yeah, so uh, there was a big, uh, I, I usually try to be a little less shameless, but in this uh, situation, I'll um, just go whole hog. I, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez certainly is one of the most um magnetic and exciting leaders of the American left right now. And she just got profiled in Vanity Fair. And there's a little video that goes along with it. If you, if you look it up online uh, and in the video, uh, they ask, you know, kind of go through her daily routine. And uh, one of the things she says she does every day is checks out uh, in these times. So gotta uh, give us a little, a uh, little bit of love for that and encourage, you know, if you want to be like AOC, that means you, you, you <laughs> gotta do that too, you know? So yeah, that was that, that was somewhat um, uh, enlivening for me as a lowly, you know, left wing editor who gets paid very little and does not, you know, get much uh, glory on the job to, uh, to 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 be read by uh, somebody like that. But I think it also speaks to the fact that look, the ideas on the left more broadly might seem still to be uh, outside of the mainstream. Well, there's a potential for a new mainstream, right? And that is uh, possible if this wave of progressive energy that we've seen, not just through people like AOC, but also the new class of potential squad members of of left-leaning legislators that are coming into Congress, people like uh, Jamal Bowman and Cory mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bowman's in New York, uh, mm-hmm. Bush is in M- Missouri, Murray Newman here in Illinois, Mondaire Jones in New York. We had a big cover story in these times about uh, about them uh, last month by Natalie Shore. If they come into office and they are bringing the ideas that they read about in places like In These Times and hear about on places like the Ben Jarofsky show, we could be looking at a very different political terrain. You know, and I think that in our future and I think that that's always we have to have a North Star as our, you know, in our politics, because it can easily turn into very doom and gloom, especially when talking about things as we were earlier about, you know, the Bannon disinformation campaign and what have you. Well, you know, we're there's an actual channel to uh, some 
uh, positions of power in our country. And we have an opportunity now to help leverage those, but to do that and, and therefore to help, you know, bring about a world where there's more, you know, egalitarian policies, where people live better lives, where they trust their government. Uh, but to do that, we have to like have faith and actually politically engage and do things like go out and vote, uh, whether it's, you know, for Biden or for a fair tax or for democratic senators, um, doing all of that is part of a larger process. Um, and I think that AOC's term in Congress is a real example of what's possible if we, um, when, when the left is serious about, takes politics seriously, and um, when we refuse to give in to, you know, despair or despondence or anything like that and actually, uh, you know, do, uh, take action when it comes to our political lives. Well put, Miles. Appreciate that. And by the way, the part of the uh, Vanity Fair article that got cut for space and really irritated me is where AOC talks about how much she enjoys listening to Miles Conflasson whenever he comes on the Ben Jarofsky show. She said that. Yeah, that just got cut. God damn, man. That editor, man. <laughs> so uh, anyway, wouldn't that be great? Uh, Miles, stay safe and sound. Miles, we actually have a, a few things here. Uh, we have some someone ask you a question. They want to know yeah. your opinion, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, but two other things. First off, dude, that hair is getting out of control, man. <laughs> this is quarantine hair. I've now cut probably in like, I don't know, almost a year now. Dude, we, hey, by the way, AOC said it too. She get a little shaggy there, son. You, cut that hair. We were saying you had that Jim Morrison look. Now it's like classical composer look, like Mozart or something. <laughs> I was worried. I was like, if my hair goes white, I'm going to start looking like, you know, but I recently watched Amadeus and it's a pretty good movie. So it like, is a good movie. It is yeah. a good movie, actually. Yeah, yeah Amadeus yeah. is a good flick. <laughs> Rock that. There's your Halloween costume right there, Amadeus. Yeah. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say, um, real quick. <laughs> Go Dolphins. Go Dolphins. <laughs> my, my people. All right. And uh, to the actual question here, uh, the questions from Stephen and Frank on the live stream chat. Uh, Miles, they want to know your thoughts on Glenn Greenwald's resignation from The Intercept. Ugh, yeah, I saw that earlier today. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. I'll just put it that way. I will... Um, all I'll say is I, you know, I know Ryan Grimm and uh, I know a lot of the writers and reporters at The Intercept. And I think over the past couple of years, The Intercept has become an integral part of our media ecosystem. They're breaking stories. They're putting out great, great journalism. Um, so I'm going to keep uh, reading uh, The Intercept. Uh, it's unfortunate that Glenn has decided to uh, make a you know, dramatic leave of absence. Well, I didn't even know about that. Uh, does uh, does he say what he's going to do now, or has that not come out? I think, from what I understand, the, the rationale he gave was that they were like refusing to publish his stories or something, which is effectively what the Guardian did too, if you remember, which is part of the reason that he went on to to found the Intercept um, uh, many years ago. Uh, I don't know what the what the details of any of that are, but I imagine you know. Glenn's got a uh, he, he's got some stature in the media world. I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah, he also uh, lives in a beautiful uh, yeah. uh, down in Brazil with like tons of dogs uh, and seems to you know have a have, have a good thing going down there. Not that you know I don't I don't, don't want to say he's like living living high on the hog or anything like that, but I think Glenn's going to be okay. Yeah, by the way, I just I clicked it on the internet. I, the first thing that popped up is Fox News. Man, it's such a trip. 
Fox News, you are such a freaking trip. Uh, headline, Glenn uh, Greenwald quits The Intercept, which he co-founded, claims editors censored stories critical of Biden. Fox News has never done a damn thing to help anyone of the leftist persuasion on any issue they want. But anytime they sense, anytime they sense any kind of division on the left, they're promoting that. I just got a smile. I just I just clicked on here because I've been on the air, so I don't know about, about this broke while I was on the air, Miles. I'm like, what? Yeah. Man, Fox, you are a trip. How about yeah. Hey, Fox, why don't you promote, uh, why don't you vote of uh, voter engagement? How about that? I want to see Fox. You care so much about lefty stuff. Why don't you take a stand on people uh, being able to vote the day of the election? Sign up to vote. Registration, voter registration in Michigan and Wisconsin. How about that, Fox? What a bunch of phonies, Miles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, don't get me going. Well, um, I'll just put a last uh, little plug out tomorrow. I'm going to have a, a story up at emmystimes.com on some of the voter uh, uh, information and some of the disinformation uh, uh, stuff being put out by the right that I talked about earlier. Um, so, yeah, check that. Out and then next week we're going to be covering what whatever happens. You know, we got people lined up to to cover potential um, protests or you know actions, whatever that might respond from the uh, election results after um, Tuesday. But hey, uh, you, I know four years ago was a pretty distressing time for a lot of people. So I just you know I remember where I was. I was actually at the empty bottle uh, 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 bar back when we could go to bars um, for the election results. And they had uh, cupcakes with Hillary Clinton's face on it that they were planning to hand out when the vote was, you know, called in her favor that then by the end of the night, people were just like sadly taking trays of these Hillary Clinton cupcakes with them. So I advise everybody to, you know, don't treat the election results necessarily as a cause for celebration. Just be prepared because that's what, you know, democracy calls for. It's not just about your team winning. It's, I mean, we should take uh, excitement when we have successes, but we should be prepared for um, the challenges to come too. So that's my advice to uh, everybody for Tuesday. I agree with you. And, and Dennis and I, we, uh, we made a decision before uh, we were talking about this. We, we had no plans for election day. It's like day to day on the Ben Jarofsky show, you know, figure out what are we going to do today? God forbid we think like three days ahead. Uh, but we were talking about, hey, man, why don't we just go live? Oh, uh, election night. Yeah, that was not? two hours ago. We were like, yeah, let's do that. Cool. <laughs> Decision making at the Ben Jarofsky show. Like, you know, because if I wasn't doing that, I'd be sitting around drinking. So, well, why don't I go live? I still drink. Uh, well, so, I get a, a call from either you or, or you, you or D. I'll be ready. Oh, yeah. Be ready. You, we got our whole squad and you're in the scar squad. Uh, so, yeah, I'm we're probably going to go live. The, the, the larger Ben Jarofsky show universe. That's all. Yes. You're absolutely a, a key part of that larger universe. And so, I don't know how many people will be listening to us because, of course, everybody's got their own favorite stations. But we do the, uh, when we drop that podcast, I know we'll get a lot of hits. Uh, if like Biden loses, just listen to me wait yelling, crying, drink. <laughs> I think people might be entertained by that. And if he wins, good God, champagne will be popping. Dennis will be smoking a reefer. I mean, it'll be a blast. You know, guys, I think I'm going to uh, make Biden cupcakes. Oh, <laughs> good idea. I haven't thought about <laughs> Biden cupcakes. All right, Miles, stay safe and sound and uh, rock on with your bad self. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye.
All right, that's great. Miles Conflass and make Biden cupcakes. D, we're going to have Biden cupcakes on uh, Tuesday. And uh... Yeah, quick question. How do you make cupcakes? I don't I have no clue. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, no updates, really. We just want to, uh, well, Ben just mentioned it. Yeah, that we had a big announcement here. We are going to be doing an election night broadcast. All right. So we're going to do the regular Ben Jarofsky show, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites <laughs> and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to be doing that. Uh, then we're going to drop the show for download. And then, uh, what, what did we say, 8 o'clock? Yeah, eight o'clock. Okay. I'll probably be so smashed, but okay, you're really sounding like a drunkard here in the last five minutes. He doesn't. Hey, Dennis, let me tell you a couple things about this election. Oh, got the ambulance coming there. Oh, uh, gonna take me away. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but no, at eight o'clock, we're gonna jump back on the live stream, and uh, we're gonna be doing a first Tuesday election night special. Maya Duke Mosville will be joining us. Isn't that right, Ben? Yes. Maya has agreed to do that. Uh, let's see if she backs out by Tuesday. Oh, this is really good in the early planning stages. But yeah, Maya said she uh, would join us. And uh, cool. We'll see you all. So we just got um, Miles to say he'll join. And I, uh, I know Mark Sims will uh, definitely join us. Mark Sims, come on now. Cool. Monroe will join us, right? I know my friends will come through for us. So. All right, looks like the live stream chat's on board as well. Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, we're going to jump back on the live stream chat all election night. Uh, you know, it's kind of weird when to put a cap on it, when to end it. Uh, I don't know, maybe like 11 o'clock. I don't know. We'll, we'll see, I guess, how the election goes. And maybe there, there just may be a point in the podcast where we go, all right, we're done. <laughs> well, I remember Maya and I did one of these. Uh, it was so much fun, actually. It was uh, the stakes weren't as high. I think it was the mayor mayor's race, and uh, we were just we were just riffing. You know, a lot of our listeners, if if uh, on the live stream could help us, because you know I'm not that good with this computer stuff. So you can give us updates. Michigan just went for Biden. Yeah. Wisconsin went for you know what I mean. That could help. We would have a whole crew. But I, D, I just got a feeling that like. In a week or two weeks, it'll be pretty funny to listen to that, the podcast of that, you know, me, me losing my mind. Yeah. Okay. He's on the sauce. Um, and maybe yeah. what we can do uh, until Tuesday, uh, live stream chat, weigh in. Also, send us an email, Show at gmail.com. You've been listening to the show for so long. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But uh, if you're familiar with our guests, what guests would you like to hear from on the election night? And we'll try and reach out to them. How about that? Any suggestions? Suggestions uh, for guests for our Tuesday night election night uh, broadcast would be very helpful. Benny J Show at gmail.com. You can reach us at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can call us. In fact, Doogie, I believe, gave us a call. He's got a random thought of the day. We're going to hold that off until tomorrow. But uh, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Stephen uh, is already saying Stacy Davis Gates. Oh, come on. That's at, yes, SDG. Oh, we got a request for Adolfo from Brianna. Yeah, and uh, Henry Davis. We can, oh. we, Henry Davis from South Bend. Come on, we'll get updates on what's Pete Buttigieg doing on election night from Henry Davis. Uh, I'm just thinking of all the great people that come on our show. 
Uh, SDG, of course, yeah, top of the Candace Castillo. How about JT, Jeanette Taylor? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. The board. Guys, we're Come getting on. excited here, and uh, we hope you are, too. Election night, 8 o'clock. Find us on the live stream chat, just where we always are, where we jump on the live stream. We're going to do the show, and then we'll leave it up for podcast available for download as well. All you people who download, I'm talking to you, too. Please send some suggestions for uh, possible guests on our election show special. All right, very good, man. This election show special is coming together right now. This, the, folks, you're hearing pre-show planning. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis and Ben style. No, for real. Ben uh, called me at like noon, like, hey, you, uh, you want to do an election show? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. What the yeah, hell? Why not? Yeah, because right. I was talking to Maya. She goes, hey, how about an election show? <laughs> I go, hey, why not? Um, that's how it's all coming together. All right, I want to thank the great Miles Conflasson, and he is a great guest, uh, the pride and joy of In These Times. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Miles can tell you, as Michael Joseph Maddie can tell you, as Maya can tell you, as SDG would tell you, as Frank would tell you, as Donald Trump would tell you, back home in Alton. That's a lot of people. Yeah, they all agree. They call him Dr. Doobie. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Johnny Hanson, I'm running for Congress in the Illinois 5th Congressional District. The city of Chicago needs to be unmasked. The state of Illinois needs to be unmasked because the mask is a lie. The mask that you see around the city is a big lie. The impeachment of President Trump was a lie. The COVID-19 virus is a farce. The Black Lives Matter protest is a lie.